card. Transmission, hospitalizations, and deaths down. Why Dr. Henry feels it's safe enough to drop the last major restriction. A fourth dose to battle the sixth wave. Now is the time to book your booster dose. Why booster shots are still a big part of COVID protection for the elderly. And escape from Kyiv. <laughs> a Ukrainian filmmaker and her daughter and their agonizing choice to leave Ukraine. We were driving under the explosions, so, like, it was scary. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll have those stories for you in just a moment. But first, we begin with breaking news of an arrest in connection with the killing of a UBC Okanagan security guard. 22-year-old Dante Onabene Heborn of Kelowna is now facing a second-degree murder charge in the death of 24-year-old Harmandeep Carr. She was assaulted on February 26th while she was on the job, allegedly by Onabene Heborn, who also worked at the school. She later died of her injuries in hospital. Onabede Holborn is scheduled to appear in court tomorrow. Now to the pandemic, and BC health officials have released data on the latest wave of COVID-19 in our province and have outlined the path forward. And as we learn to live with the virus, the last remaining pandemic requirements are being lifted for most of us. Richard Zussman is live in Victoria right now with the details. Richard. It is one of the most visible parts of the pandemic, Chris, your vaccine card. You must use it every time you go to a restaurant, sporting event, gym. But by the end of this week, this will no longer be required. The end of restrictions. There is no magic moment to lift restrictions. And there's no amount of delaying that will make it absolutely safe all the time. Effective Friday, April 8th, the BC vaccine card will no longer be legally required in BC. COVID-19 safety plans will be replaced by communicable disease plans, and those daily COVID-19 numbers will only come out once a week. The weather does change every day. What we're seeing in terms of risk doesn't change every day. This is why the province is lifting the last major COVID-19 restriction. More than 90% of those 12 and older have received two doses of a COVID-19 vaccine. And the province estimates more than half of the people who live in this province have had COVID, going up to 60% for those under 19, including zero to four-year-olds who can't yet be vaccinated. It does tell us that vaccination and sub subsequent infection in some people means that we have a high level of potential immunity in our community right now that is different from any other phase that we've been through in this pandemic. The removal of restrictions is expected to lead to hospitalizations from COVID going up. Over the next two months, the worst case scenario showing 100 people a day going into hospital with the virus. But the projection is not an overwhelming of the system. What we saw with the Omicron was a very rapid rise and then a gradual falling off. What this is predicting is that if we do the things that we're doing, if nothing changes, then we're going to see a gradual, uh, a much slower and lower rise. The province will still be requiring vaccine for those working in the healthcare sector. Check it manually. And is expected over the next few weeks to make data public for the extended healthcare sector, including vaccination rates for dentists, chiropractors and physiotherapists.
And so people will have an understanding of uh, the vaccination levels in different professions in the community and can make their own informed decisions. All right, Richard, be great to think this is the end of COVID-19 restrictions in B.C., but today's announcement comes with a bit of a warning. Yeah, it sure does, Chris. And part of this is how exceptional it's been that we've had these restrictions for so long. Dr. Bonnie Henry made note, and she has a few times, that it's exceptional the fact that people have been asked to show their proof of vaccine at restaurants or the fact that restaurants even closed. And now COVID-19 will be treated like we treat the flu that we have plans for it each year. But COVID, we still don't know a lot about it. They want to get a better sense of the seasonality of COVID before truly assessing what the long term impacts will be. But Dr. Henry is somewhat optimistic that with the fact that the vaccines work, that big restrictions across the province will likely not be required. But there is one case where if the vaccine no longer works against COVID-19 and we see infections shoot up again and hospitalizations go up, then restrictions could return. But in that case, Chris, it would likely be a totally different pandemic. No doubt. Be nice to get past Friday, those milestones for yeah. sure. Richard, thanks very much. All right. With all of that in mind, let's take a look at our latest numbers, which health officials advise that starting on Thursday will only come out once a week. Hospital numbers are up again. 334 people are in hospital now. That's up 13. There's 35 people in ICU, and we have 258 new confirmed cases recorded over the last 24 hours. And we'll bring in our Keith Baldry now for more on those fourth doses or second booster shots, whichever mm -hmm. you prefer. Keith, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, which we call NACI, is warning mm -hmm. provinces to be ready for a quick rollout on those. What's the latest there? Yeah, the fourth dose is coming, folks, and it's going to depend on your age. More on that in a moment, but before you get a fourth dose, you have to have a third dose. And one of the slides released today, very interesting, showing the effectiveness of the third dose. Take a look at this. So on the left is hospitalizations, and in the left-hand column are unvaccinated people, by far on a per capita basis, uh, the most hospitalizations. The middle column is two doses. The third column, though, in each grouping, is the dark purple, are three doses. So again, you look at critical care, the, the three-dose number there, very low. Uh, deaths, very low for people with three doses. So again, the, the takeaway from this is not only do you need to get vaccinated, you need to get your booster shot because that really enhances your, your protectiveness. Now again, for the fourth dose though, this is how it breaks down. Uh, it's based on age. So people age 70 or over who've had three doses, that's about almost 600,000 people, extremely clinically vulnerable people, about 100,000, and Indigenous people over the age of 55. All of these people will qualify for a fourth dose in the coming weeks. Dr. Bonnie Henry today say no plans to vaccinate people earlier than that with a fourth dose, but that could change depending on the circumstances, particularly as we approach next fall. Here's Dr. Henry. Right now, a, a spring booster dose for our elders and seniors in long-term care and in the community, but we will be watching and looking at different variants that arise. What might our future be in terms of next respiratory season, late summer and spring and fall? It may be that we will recommend a booster dose for more people. It may be that we will need another booster dose for those who are most at risk. 
So again, people over the age of 70 will get a fourth, fourth dose. But you know what? There's about 68,000 people over the age of 70 right now who've been invited to come in and get their booster dose. So of course, they can't get a fourth dose unless they get a third dose. So if you're watching right now, you're over the age of 70, you haven't got your booster dose, that slide I just showed you shows the effectiveness and protection you get from a third dose. It keeps you out of the hospital, it keeps you out of the ICU, and it keeps you alive. Very important things. All right, thanks for that, Keith. All right, just because the vaccine passport requirement will be going away as of this Friday, don't expect the passports or masks, for that matter, to disappear altogether. As Grace Key reports, the provincial health officer points out the pandemic is still very much with us, so we have to respect people's differing comfort levels. For the past seven months, we've been flashing our vaccine passports every time we wanted to go out for a meal, watch a sporting event, or catch a movie. But all that is coming to an end on Friday. Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry made the announcement, adding some businesses have expressed interest in keeping the passports. Well, I've talked with some business owners who own restaurants, for example, um, community restaurants, where they feel that uh, they're going to keep that requirement for a period of time. We know as well that uh, some uh, small smaller shops that can get more crowded, they also want to keep requirements for mask wearing or for um, uh, people to, uh, to have be vaccinated. The BC Restaurant and Food Services Association says business went up when the mask mandate was lifted and expects that to continue when the vaccine passport requirement is gone. I think that everybody's going to eliminate them as fast as possible. The, the deal here is that we've got such a high vaccination rate in British Columbia that people feel safe. I would guarantee that most people in any restaurant has, are vaccinated, so um, I think you'll see it gone as of Friday. When movie theaters were ordered to close, Vancouver's Real Theatre briefly became a sports bar in order to survive the pandemic. The theatre won't be asking its customers to show the vaccine passport once the mandate is lifted. We are here to support what is being asked of us, and if what is being asked of us is to do something, we are happy to do it and happy to oblige and do all the things that we're asked, but we're, we're, we wouldn't go outside of that if we're not being asked to do that. Here are your Vancouver... Other organizations, including the Vancouver Canucks, Vancouver Art Gallery, and Vancouver Civic Theatres and Park Board, have all announced they also will be following provincial guidelines by dropping the vaccine passport requirement. Grace Key, Global News. The bitter feud playing out in court. How a simmering dispute between two women ended in a charge of attempted murder with the alleged crime taking place inside the courtroom. That's next on the NewsHour. Well, the fight over Penticton's iconic peach on the beach and why locals are mad. And coffee that packs more than a punch. What makes it special later? Right now, though, new developments in a shocking incident in a B.C. Supreme Court room that led to serious questions about security there. A woman involved in a civil matter concealed a fish knife and a hammer in her bag and then allegedly attacked another woman. And now she's on trial for attempted murder. Romina Dea reports. Jing Lu stood up in the witness box, describing in graphic detail how Catherine Chen was standing behind her with a hammer in her left hand and a knife with a six-inch blade in her right. The incident took place inside courtroom 32 at Vancouver Law Courts last May. Lu stabbed twice in the chest area and slashed in the arm multiple times, according to the evidence. 
Lou said she was sitting inside the courtroom when she felt a blow to her head. It was like an earthquake, she described. I was really fearful. I can't remember how I resisted it, Lou testified. I did not know where I was injured. I could only feel blood coming down. Ms. Shen was using all of her force to try to stab me with the knife. Court Sheriff John Roberge heard noises from the hallway. He testified how he ran into the courtroom, ordered both women to lay down. He said he took the hammer and a fish filleting knife out of the hands of Shen and arrested her. Liu and Shen had been in court for a contempt of court hearing. In an ongoing civil suit, the women engaged in a nasty verbal war on social media for over a decade. Shen stood up in the prisoner's box twice, yelling out that Liu is a liar. The trial continues Wednesday. Romina Dea, Global News. The charge of second-degree murder has now been laid in connection with a sudden death in Coquitlam last week. Police were called to a home in the 2100 block, sorry, make that the 3100 block of Coast Meridian Road on March 31st, where they found the body of a 41-year-old man now identified as Jude Daniel Gion. Now charged in his death is 46-year-old Shiroki Mirza Amir Abadi. Investigators say the two were known to each other and there's no indication the incident is connected to the ongoing Lower Mainland gang conflict. Vancouver police are investigating three suspicious fires in Chinatown. The most damaging was on East Pender near Maine just before 10.30 last night. Officers on foot patrol also found two garbage cans on fire in the same area. All three are believed to be connected. Police say this is just the latest struggle for the neighborhood. Folks in Chinatown, whether they live there or work there, um, are dealing with a lot of uh, crime and street disorder now, whether it's graffiti, um, things like arsons, del- deliberately set fires, street disorder, um, crime that's spilling over from the downtown east side. Uh, it's a lot uh, that's going on there right now, so we're working really closely with the business community and people who live there to try to address some of these problems. Business owners are currently circulating a petition about vandalism and graffiti in Chinatown. With thousands of signatures so far, police say although most graffiti goes unreported, there's actually been a 300% increase in Chinatown recently. Coming up, a filmmaker flees Ukraine. What she and her daughter had to leave behind. And in sports, the return of Tiger. What the golf great says about his comeback this week at Augusta. Eastbound traffic has improved a lot here on Highway 1 through Burnaby after clearing some earlier problems. Still a bit slow at merge points like Willingdon and Kensington. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $38 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. This May, join me for the BC Cancer Foundation's Workout to Conquer Cancer. Sign up on your own or as a team. And let's move every day this May and help change cancer outcomes. Register today at workouttoconquercancer.ca. A warning once again about our coverage of Ukraine. Some of the video is disturbing. Officials now say the massacre of civilians in the town of Bucha outside of Kiev could be just the tip of the iceberg. They say the situation in other towns where the Russian military has pulled out could be even worse. Aaron MacArthur has the latest. The list of alleged war crimes is growing in the suburbs around Kyiv. New video emerging from Borodyanka. Buildings reduced to rubble. An unknown number of people buried in the debris. 
There are fears the civilian toll here could be worse than what was discovered in Bucha. I don't know what exactly happened over there, says this man, but there are people under the debris. This police officer says the bodies we find, we drive them to the morgue to figure out the cause of death. I can't state the definite number. According to Ukrainian officials, the death toll is more than 300 in Bucha alone. Some people found bound or with gunshot wounds to the backs of their heads. As international outrage grows, President Zelensky addressed the UN Security Council Tuesday, pleading with the body to take action. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready to close the UN? Do you think that the time of international law is gone? If your answer is no, then you need to act immediately. Despite overwhelming evidence, Russia, with a permanent seat on the Security Council, called the allegations of war crimes ungrounded. The UN seemingly powerless to stop Russian aggression. Western allies have ratcheted up the sanctions on Vladimir Putin's regime. The EU proposing a ban on coal imports and banning all Russian vessels from accessing its member ports. And the US planning to announce further sanctions Wednesday. What we've seen in, uh, in Bucha is not the random act of a rogue unit. It's a deliberate campaign uh, to kill. Despite the evidence of war crimes, Ukrainians still committed to the peace process. Leaders admitting Tuesday this war will leave generational scars on their country. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And as Canada prepares for an influx of refugees from Ukraine, Okanagan residents are sending supplies to the war-torn country. The latest shipment, about $15,000 worth of medical supplies, water filters and other necessities for both soldiers and civilians, all of it donated by Okanagan residents to charity groups. Every drop counts. That's the main thing. And uh, uh, every drop, every dollar you donate or every item you bring, we need to do something, we're doing something, and it will help, and it does help. The group say they are also gearing up to help what could be thousands of Ukrainian refugees heading for B.C. A mother and daughter who fled the horror in Ukraine are now safely in Vancouver. Kristina Sivolop is a filmmaker in Kyiv, but as Kamal Kuramali reports, nothing she's seen through the camera lens compares to what she's seen in real life over the last few weeks. You wouldn't be able to tell at first glance. But this is actually a meeting between complete strangers. Kristina Sivolap arriving from war-torn Ukraine. So many people came here to meet me and to hug us. Meeting Pat Kelly, the Canadian who helped get her here. I feel like uh, I've known her for a long time. It's quite emotional. Emotional because Christina and her daughter had been holding on to hope for weeks they would one day be safe on Canadian soil. Now that moment is here, described in one word. Oh, finally. <laughs> Christina is a filmmaker from Kyiv. She's directed several Ukrainian movies and TV series. But what she helped put on the screen paled in comparison to what real life had suddenly become. So they fled. It was crazy and very hard because we were driving under the explosions. 
her husband stayed behind to fight, the mother and daughter eventually making it to Poland, where they sat and waited for someone to offer a helping hand. <laughs> and then came in Christina's childhood friend, Olga, who teamed up with her family friend, Pat Kelly, to get them here. I already feel, yeah, we're, we will be safe and in love. Now, a hope Christina can continue her filmmaking journey in Canada. She was, uh, yeah, developing the Ukrainian film culture. Hopefully she'll be doing that here as well. I know that film industry in Vancouver is pretty much good. Like, everyone tells me that, so I believe them. Plans are already in place to screen one of her films in Vancouver with funds going towards helping Ukraine. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Coming up, a beachside brawl in Penticton. Changing it to a different menu, I think a lot of people are going to be very disappointed. Why locals are upset the former operator has been squeezed out. And ICBC bets on an app to make your teenage driver a little better. Good evening. Traffic is steady both ways on Highway 1 over the Portman Bridge. Just be aware if you plan on using Low Heat Highway as an alternate to Highway 1, there's lots of leftover volume after a crash near Colony Farm. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $38 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Police in Sydney on Vancouver Island are trying to crack down on prolific graffiti and vandalism in the community. RCMP say sexual, racist and anti-LGBTQ comments have been spray-painted on buildings recently and are blatant defacing of property. Police are asking anyone who knows the people responsible to contact them with any information. Months after a local teenager was brutally assaulted by as many as three men along the Kelowna Rail Trail, the victim's family wants to know why no arrests have been made and no charges laid. And Liberal MLA for Kelowna Mission, Renee Merrifield, is now taking their fight to the provincial legislature. Dallas Zagodnik was recently attacked on the Kelowna Rail Trail in the middle of the afternoon. The 17-year-old suffered a fractured skull and a collapsed lung. Dallas works full-time to support himself, and all his possessions were taken in the attack, including his bike, which was found dumped in Mission Creek, along with his shoes and cell phone that were taken. Merrifield points out four months later, Dallas and his family are still waiting for justice. In question period Tuesday, Merrifield challenged Attorney General David Eby to explain why more hasn't been done in this case. I'm not familiar with uh, the uh, horrific uh, attack the member describes, where it's at in the process, if there was a report to Crown Council, what the decision of Crown was. Um, I can advise the member in Dallas that sometimes there is a delay in laying charges as police assemble their file. The teen is on a long road to recovery from serious head and lung injuries. A GoFundMe called Help Dallas Heal and Recover that was set up by a friend of the family has so far raised more than $23,000. Well, the iconic, iconic peach concession stand in Penticton now has new operators. But as Global's Taya Fast shows us, the decision to award the contract to a Calgary company has sparked uproar among Penticton residents.
The iconic Peach Concession Stand on Lakeshore Drive has new operators, and Penticton residents are not feeling too peachy about the decision. Lemons just don't. Peaches grow here. Lemons don't. Very disappointed because we love to stop here in our walks every day, and so many people will miss it so much. Yeah, and I always enjoy what they had here, so changing it to a different menu, I think a lot of people are going to be very disappointed. Family Squeeze Lemonade won the bid for the new three-year contract, squeezing out longtime local operator Diana Sterling, who ran the peach ice cream shop here since 2016. Since the announcement, over 5,000 people have signed an online petition asking for the city to change their mind. There has been some backlash. I think that some of it's been quite biased. I also think some of it's been uneducated. Um, we've also been met with a lot of support, so I would prefer... To, to focus and, and to really land on that. Family Squeeze says even though they are based in Calgary, local family members will be running the peach. We have family from Kelowna who will be you know, helping in the process of running it and we are hiring a bunch of local people to run it as well, which is what we always do in any city that we go to, as well as hiring tons of kids for their first job, which we love. Andrews added, although they are in the business of lemonade, fear not, the peach won't be turned into a lemon. Peach is literally the peach. It's always going to be the peach. Um, I would have no desire to turn it into a lemon. Anthony Haddad with the city of Penticton says the decision followed the city's public request for proposal process. At, at the end of those three-year terms, there's no guarantee that that service provider will continue on operating a concession, whether it's the peach or any other concession in the city. So as we go through those public processes, there's opportunities for other uh, service providers to provide uh, service to the community in those locations. The process attracted three bids and a decision was made based on specific criteria. We look at business plan, we look at the fit for the community based on the location of the service that the city is looking at providing and uh, really looking at providing the best opportunity for the community to, to benefit from these commercial uh, operations on public parkland. Family Squeeze says they will be incorporating local ingredients throughout their menu and will be serving up many flavors of lemonade, ice cream and other treats. TFS Global News, Penticton. ICBC is launching a new app to help drivers recognize road hazards. It's called Street Sense. The app designed for inexperienced and new BC drivers to avoid potential issues before they get behind the wheel. ICBC says the number of drivers getting their learner's license has increased 24% since 2020. Street Sense is available as an app, a computer download, and will soon be available for VR headsets. Well, despite the strides B.C. has made during the pandemic, a lockdown of one of China's largest cities continues following increased COVID-19 case counts there. Some 26 million people are confined to their homes. People in Shanghai haven't seen measures like this since the original virus was first discovered in Wuhan. Global's Kyle Benning reports. Full-scale COVID-19 testing of every person in one of China's largest cities is underway. Shanghai is behind a wall, with groceries and medicine being delivered door-to-door. -door. China has a strict zero-COVID policy. Local officials say once results come in, the most pressing task is to ramp up measures on transporting and isolating positive cases. Once they're detected, people will be transferred to designated hospitals for immediate isolation and timely treatment. Vaccine rates are high and severe outcomes limited. State-affiliated media says people are more concerned with the annoyance of COVID-19. Anyone who tests positive needs to go into central quarantine. Uh, if you're symptomatic, you need to go to a central um, hospital. 
if you're asymptomatic and you feel completely fine, but you test positive, you also need to go to a central quarantine site. He says anyone in a government-run facility can leave after producing two negative tests in consecutive days. Shanghai recorded more than 13,000 new cases Monday, with nearly all of them being asymptomatic as stealth Omicron, or BA2, spreads through the city. It's the first time Shanghai has reached a five-figure daily case count since the first outbreak at the end of 2019. Canadian experts say this is why it's important for all countries to continue genome testing for the next variant. It could be here in Montreal, it could be somewhere in Canada, it could be at the other end of the world, but we know it can spread extremely rapidly. And while a full lockdown might not be needed in Canada, people can't pretend we're past the pandemic yet. We are now at this stage in Canada learning how to live with, not just learning to live with it, learning how safely and smartly, you know, live with COVID-19. This is the first lockdown of this magnitude Shanghai has seen after officials tried to isolate parts of the city in previous weeks. Kyle Benning, Global News. Well, while COVID vaccines have grabbed headlines over the past two years, it was 100 years ago today that Canada made what has been described as the greatest contribution to healthcare, insulin. To mark the date, the first insulin injection was given. A 16-year-old Vancouver resident is taking on a daunting challenge. Wilson Gallardi is looking to spend 100 hours on top of a 40-foot flagpole on Granville Street in support of finding a cure for diabetes. The cause is personal for Wilson. He was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 6. I took some convincing at the beginning, but I volunteered because... I have the access to the medical tools, and uh, not not all families do, and I want to change that, and I want to change the lives of uh, so many families, and I want to be a part of it. Wilson says he has plenty of homework and movies to keep him busy during that 100 hours. He's one of five volunteers across the country who will be taking part in the flagpole challenge this week. Just ahead, a good cause in a cup. Growing up, my grandma was a coffee farmer. How Rwandan coffee is helping heal trauma in Vancouver and around the world. And beam me up, Scotty. The announcement that has Trekkies everywhere, including Sophie, so excited. Watching Global News Hour at 6. At times today, it felt colder than winter. Yeah, colder than it should. Yeah. Well, you know, let's check the data. I know somebody <laughs> who has it. There's Christy right now. Let's see what's coming this spring forecast. Thanks, you guys. Well, so we are climbed our way back to near seasonal values today. Definitely yesterday was cold, but it was also the fact that we had a really strong westerly northwest flow today, and that kept things really cool. Not to worry, there is some warm weather on the way, but first, here's a look at how windy it got. So last night, we had gusts up to 98 kilometers an hour across the southern tip of Vancouver Island. Those shifted across our region. We saw gusts up to 63 kilometers an hour and through Point Atkinson. There was only a couple of hundred people without power today, and there 
weren't any warnings, but boy, was it gusty across the region. And that was the case in through the interior regions as well, where as well, there was only a couple hundred without power. Uh, we also saw some nice sunshine, but there were some pretty heavy-duty downpours in a few areas. And you can see that in this image from Catherine Swift. Thanks so much for that one. And one from Robin showing a rainbow from the downpour of rain. But here's a look at the hail in Qualicum Beach because of that system there. Uh, so certainly incredible downpour of hail. It almost looks like snow in that area. Thanks to Bev for sharing that with us. All right. So let's have a look at what we're going to see tomorrow. Temperatures are expected to warm up. We're going to have a more wet southwest flow. It means rain for the central coast region region and quite a bit of it. Although there's no warnings in place right now, you may want to tune in tomorrow for more details. But overall for our area, we're going to see this nice southwest flow and we'll see some cloud cover in the mix certainly. But overall, we've got dry conditions on the way and that's the case in through the interior regions as well. So tomorrow back to near seasonal values, 12 degrees as our daytime high, but the highlight will be Thursday with a high of 16 degrees, which will be the warmest that we've seen so far this year. We're back to rain on Friday though so definitely use your uh, dry weather over the next couple of days. I know a lot of people have been out using it that's for sure. This shot from Barry in Shelter Bay which by the way is uh, in the Arrow Lakes area so just north of Nicusp. Uh, beautiful shot just from earlier today. Thanks to Barry for that one. Lovely. Thank you Christy. It's a beauty. All right, everybody, those screams of joy you might have heard today, that might have been Sophie <laughs> and lots of other fans of Star Trek The Next Generation. I am not a man who needs a legacy. My heart started racing. <laughs> I was so excited. Paramount Studios releasing this unexpected teaser for season three of Star Trek Picard. They haven't said much in the way of details, but this is all we needed to see. The trailer revealing that every major cast member from the original TNG, that's Next Generation mm -hmm. series, will be joining Patrick Stewart for the third and final season of Picard. No release date has been announced as season two is still airing, but oh my goodness. That's what I've been waiting for my whole life <laughs> since since 1988. Since 1988, exactly. Were you liking any of those other Star Treks in between that and now? Well, I will say that I was inspired <laughs> by John Horgan to watch Voyager during the pandemic, and now I'm watching Deep Space Nine. Okay. So I have no life. <laughs> That's what I do. Are you Star Wars material? I no? like Star Wars too, but Star okay. Trek is... Special. Where it's at. Okay, we'll ask you tomorrow your thoughts on Baby Yoda and the blushing right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, it's kind of a health update here. Brock Besser can't play. Uh, Quinn Hughes might not play, but Tiger Woods might play. All of that coming up. Big week at Augusta. All right, thanks very much, Squire. We'll get back to you a little bit later. Also tonight, coffee for a cause, how Rwandan immigrants are using their business to make the world a better place. There's the man, the myth, the legend, <laughs> Squire Barnes. Oh, I thought somebody else was here. Okay. <laughs> Always you. Uh, it's more than likely Niels Hoaglander and Tucker Poolman will not play for the Canucks anymore this season because of injuries. Now Brock Besser is out with an upper body injury. We don't know how severe it is yet, but he didn't practice today. He won't play tomorrow in Vegas. This injury is likely from what happened against Vegas on Sunday. Second period, Besser 
gets run into by Elias Pettersson, who's trying to hit former Canuck Ben Hutton. Besser took a shot to his right shoulder area. You can clearly see when he leaves the ice, there's something up with his right shoulder or arm. But uh, he did come back and finish the game, but the Canucks right now don't know his prognosis. I don't know. Like I said, I have no idea until we find out exactly. I haven't heard from a doctor or a trainer on his, uh, uh, just that he's still being evaluated. So I guess he's seeing doctors today. It's been a bad day for the Hughes brothers. Jack Hughes was told by doctors he can't play the rest of this season because of a knee injury. He officially has an MCL sprain that was suffered in a game against the Islanders on the weekend. Meanwhile, Quinn Hughes didn't practice today because he was sick, but not COVID sick. And he's not the only Canuck suffering either. Quinn's sick. We're hoping he ends up making the trip, but uh, we didn't want him to <coughs> excuse me, practice in case he gives it to anybody else. So hopefully uh, he feels much better tonight and he can get on a plane tomorrow. Is that when he shut down? Or there was no practice yesterday? Because yes. it was quite abrupt. Well, we had a couple guys uh, thrown up and we didn't want that to filter through the team. As you know, in Vancouver it's happened before and we just tried to take preemptive uh, precautions, I guess. Bruce Boudreau is one of the good guys in the NHL. So is Rick Bonus, who, of course, coaches Dallas, used to work with the Canucks. And Vancouver's kind of hoping his team loses tonight. But Marion Studenich gets a goal here off a rebound to make it 1-0 for Dallas. They're against the Islanders. Pajot tied it for New York. And then kind of a weird bounce here off the body of Tyler Sagan. But that's a good goal. And it's 2-1 early in the second for the Stars. It was raining this morning at Augusta National, but a press conference with Tiger Woods brightened everybody's mood because after feeling not too bad following a practice round on Monday, Tiger is penciled in to start the tournament, barring any setback at 7.35 in the morning, our time, on Thursday. After the update, the sports world was waiting for. I feel like I am going to play. Tiger Woods told reporters today that 14 months after the car crash that almost cost him his right leg, he is back here at Augusta with one goal. If I can still compete at the highest level, I'm going to. I don't show up to an event unless I think I can win it. That would require walking six miles or more each round over the hilly terrain of Augusta National. Though his stride during his practice rounds has looked less than 100% at times, he insists he's good to go. I've had to endure pain before, and obviously this is a lot more traumatic what has transpired to my leg. Uh, We've had to put a lot of work. But what's also clear from the practice rounds is the frenzy his return is creating. This place has got to feel like twice that. Golf writer Ron Green is covering his 41st Masters. This is like bringing back something you didn't think you were going to see again. This is like if the Beatles came back and finally did that concert they never did. There it is, a win for the ages. After five Masters wins, Wood says he's not done yet. When I I decide to hang it up, when I feel like I I can't win anymore, and that'll be it. Uh, But I feel like I can still do it. And as any golf fan knows, if Tiger feels like he can still do it, no one should argue. The Vancouver Canadians are finally in Vancouver again, and I don't mean Vancouver, Washington. They don't have a temporary home in the U.S. this season. They can now play games at Nat Bailey Stadium. Things have changed a bit since the last time the Canadians played at their real house. They are no longer in rookie ball. This version of the Seas plays a longer season, 
as members of what is called High A Baseball. But one thing that is still the same, the Vancouver Canadians are still a Blue Jays farm team. It means a lot to the players to be here. You can tell when, when we got the group together when it was announced, um, there was a special energy in the room when we had our first team meeting, so uh, it means a lot to them. It's a Vancouver Canadiens homecoming that's been two years in the making. Sees back at the Nat where it's a trip down memory lane for manager and North Delta native Brent Lavallee, as well as one of two Canadian-born pitchers on the roster, North Vancouver's Will McCaffer. Arms feeling really good, uh, feeling healthy, had a really good spring. Uh, kind of sitting around that 94, 95 mile an hour range right now, topping out a little higher than that, probably 97, 98-ish. So, um, yeah, planning to get after some hitters with some good fastballs and uh, see, see what they can do against it. Who excites you and who should fans be excited to see here in terms of some of the top prospects with Blue Jays? Just depends what you like. If you like offense, uh, watch the middle of the order. If you like defense, take a look at the outfield. Um, we're very athletic, so... You'll see a lot, of out, a lot of infielders in the outfield, a lot of outfielders moving around. Catchers will play outfield. Um, so just the versatility. So if, if you like offense, you like defense, and then you know, we'll talk about pitching. We've got some big names, and, and we like what we got in the back end of the bullpen as well. The Seas begin their 132-game season Friday night in Spokane. Then it's time to play ball at the Nat for the first of 66 home games when the Seas take to the Diamond for their home opener, Tuesday, April the 19th. I'm happy for the players uh, to get here to experience this. Um, you know, for myself and my family, it's a pretty cool thing as well. But just happy for the players and the fans to get to see the Canadians back here in, on Canadian soil. Speaking of Canadians, our men's curling team at the World Championships in Las Vegas were down 5-1 to Germany after three ends. Then we rallied big time. Scored three in the fourth, three in the sixth, one at 11-7. We are still unblemished. Champions League action, Manchester City, Atletico Madrid, first of two quarterfinal action. This guy is someone Canada has to worry about at the World Cup. Kevin De Bruyne of Belgium, leading Man City, scoring the only goal here. A 1-0 win. He is probably the best midfielder in the world. And as I said, Canada is going to have to deal with him at the World Cup. There you go. All right. Thank you very much, Squire. Still ahead, how coffee beans from Rwanda are much more than a B.C. business opportunity. Jordan Armstrong is standing by right now in an excellent tie, if I might add. <laughs> to give us you details. wore it better. <laughs> I'm Come not on. sure. It's, it, it's a tie. There we uh, go. This is a look at what's coming up at 11. Jordan. Chris, thanks. Tonight we'll have details on another unprovoked stranger attack in Metro Vancouver. The victim was attacked with a hatchet and robbed of their bag outside New Westminster Skytrain Station. At 11, you'll hear who's been charged, plus the information police still need to further the investigation. Also, we're expecting an emotional reunion tonight between a B.C. family who used to live in Ukraine and some refugees coming from that war-torn country. These stories and more on Global News at 11. Chris. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Jordan. Well, a Vancouver woman is launching a new business she hopes will help her fellow survivors of one of the most horrendous slaughters in human history. As Krista Dow reports, her efforts are aimed at those who still struggle with the nightmare of Rwanda. With every scoop, Nadine Umatoni moves one step closer toward her goal. My grandma was a coffee farmer. I've always known that at some point I wanted to be part of it in one way or another. The journey to this very moment is one few can understand. Umatoni is a survivor, having lived through one of the most atrocious horrors in human history. 
the Rwandan genocide of 1994. It is so hard to talk about it. So during the genocide of Tutsi in Rwanda in 1994, unfortunately my grandmother was killed and a huge part of my family. But she started the coffee farming in my, in my family. In about 100 days, the Hutu ethnic majority killed as many as 800,000 members of the Tutsi minority. Her family wasn't spared. She's alive because of the kindness of one Hutu woman who protected her. You know, she's a Tutsi, she must die. She's like, you know what, I understand, but you kill her, you kill me. My three brothers were killed, my two sisters and my mom. Umatoni has only recently spoken about her experience, and the healing is only just beginning, removing pieces of trauma one by one. As a genocide survivor, uh, after the genocide, unfortunately, we were not fortunate enough to get to deal with the atrocities that we had just gone through. So we really never got a chance to talk about it and deal with it on on uh, on, on emotional level. The beans she brews come from her home country of Rwanda. Parts of the proceeds will go to helping other survivors there and in Vancouver with trauma therapy and mental health issues. Resources, this professor says, are so desperately needed. I always believe that it's the healing that gets people moving in life. We should be mindful of thinking about things like access, ease, feasibility, acceptability. Her past is why she's hopeful for the future and her duty to others rooted in this very cause. It's, it, it makes me happy. It's what I want to do for the rest of my life. Krista Dow, Global News. Definitely try that out. Hope she succeeds. Okay, uh, last word on weather from Christy before we go. A little chilly tonight, that's for sure, but we're expecting near seasonal values tomorrow. Next two days look dry, although we'll certainly see more cloud cover on Thursday. But 16 degrees will be pretty nice compared to what we've been enjoying over the last little while. Rain not expected until Friday, so a couple of dry days will be nice. That will feel good. Thanks, Christy, and thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.